Thank you for tuning in to the Drug Science Podcast. Just before we start, I have a very special announcement to make. On the 14th of July, Drug Science will be officially launching the Medical Psychedelics Working Group. This group will be comprised of drug science experts, academics, policy specialists and industry partners. To celebrate this launch, we'll be hosting a free online event open to the public. We'll be exploring how medical psychedelics could and should be integrated into Western psychiatry. To find out more and secure your tickets for this event, please click the link in the show notes below. Hello and welcome to the Drug Science Podcast with me, David Nutt. Here we're bringing together experts and activists for a rational, honest and informed conversation about drugs. A Fascinate Productions podcast for drug science. Hi, this is David Nutt. This is another drug science podcast. This is the second in our series looking at vets, the traumas of war and the potential for drugs such as ayahuasca to heal them. Today I'm talking to Kate Pate, who is the research director for the Heroic Hearts Foundation, and Nathan Pohl, a US ranger who served in both Afghanistan and Iraq and has successfully treated his disorders with ayahuasca. So, Kate, tell us why you're on the program and what you're doing with Heroic Hearts. First of all, thanks for in- inviting us to be here today. We're really excited about this. And I am the director of research for Heroic Hearts Project, the nonprofit focused on connecting veterans to ayahuasca for treatment, really for, for anything, but we're really focused on post-traumatic stress disorder primarily. I was brought on in the past two years to lead the research efforts for the organization. And outside of that, I am involved in a number of other things that are kind of related to military and veteran health and performance. Were you in the military yourself? No, I wasn't. I come from a military family, though. Two of my three brothers served, as well as my father and uncles and grandfathers. So it's something that feels very much like a community that I know well, even though I wasn't a part of it from the inside. And your background then is in psychology or some other discipline? It's actually neurophysiology. So I studied at the University of Florida and got a PhD in neurophysiology and really have been doing research in a variety of areas over the past 15 years. But for the past you know, year or two, I've really been focusing more kind of in this in mental health realm. I first started looking at more physical trauma, so combat trauma, like battlefield trauma medicine uh, and research in that area. And then once I crossed paths with Heroic Hearts Project, that kind of started me on a, a new path, a new journey that I've sort of been called into and have just been exploring that and really enjoying that. Although, of course, there is an interesting overlap, isn't there? Because as well as psychological trauma, got a lot of vets suffer from blast injuries and the potential cognitive consequences of that which is a a real complication and and I guess has a sort of more physiological kind of basis as well. So you may yet get back to measuring things, (laughs) electrical things. Right. (laughs) Nathan, tell us about your background and why you're here. I am a U.S. Army combat veteran. I served in both the Iraq and Afghanistan combat theaters. I'm loosely affiliated with Heroic Hearts Project. I'm a combat veteran advocate, so I help veterans navigate through different therapies and help them access the benefits that they qualify for. Have you yourself been through the program? Yes, I have. I started utilizing ayahuasca a few years ago. It's been extremely beneficial for my mental and physical health and well-being. Okay, well, we'll come back to that in a minute. So, Kate, tell us about Heroic Hearts and explain to us what it's about and how it started and where it's going. 
the founder and CEO is a, also a former army ranger. And when he got out of the military, he was dealing with his own set of health issues and really was seeking help through the traditional paths through the VA and others, and was just finding that there really weren't very many good options that were effective for what he was going through. And through his network, he ended up finding or hearing about ayahuasca. And like many of us, you hear it and you have no idea what it is at first. And he started to explore that and found a way to do that in countries where it's actually legal. And it had a profound effect on him. And through his experience, he was just like, man, you know, I absolutely need to share this with more of, you know, my brothers and people who could benefit from this because there really aren't very many good options for veterans, but for humans in general. So he started Heroic Hearts Project really to be a nonprofit that he could bring money into to help send and sponsor veterans to go to, you know, these places like Peru or Costa Rica, which is an expensive trip to take, but to support them and enable them to go seek this really profound healing. And he set up the organization and has been slowly growing it over the past few years. And I think we've sent about 50 veterans to date. We were really hoping to send another 30 or 40 back in March, but obviously with the coronavirus pandemic that put a halt to everything. But really the research aspect of it, it's an important part of the organization, but it's kind of secondary. I think our primary goal is to send as many people as we can to get the healing that they need. And then as we are able to do research, we really want to try to make an effort to further what we know about this and who it might be able to help. So that's sort of where my role in the organization has kind of come in. Nathan, then tell us about you and about what happened and the consequences of your service and then how you found ayahuasca. So I spent about 2000 days deployed between my military and civilian contract career deployed in the combat zones. And I came home in 2009 and I found that the Veterans Administration system really was inadequate, in my opinion, to treat the war traumas, whether they be post-traumatic stress, depression, traumatic brain injury, blast-induced neurocognitive problems that we're seeing a lot of our brothers and sisters come home from the combat theaters with. And I pretty much exhausted all available Western traditional therapeutic interventions that were at my disposal. And I didn't really know what else to do. Could you tell us a little bit more about what you were suffering from? Is that all right? Are you prepared to talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Depressive symptomologies, insomnia, cognitive decline, cranial nerve problems with my eyes and my ears, substance use disorder. I had quite a few different problems. When I did seek medical care, the interventions that the Veterans Administration provided were essentially just pharmaceuticals. They want to write you prescriptions for pills. At one point, they had me on around 15 different medications that I was taking every day. And it just really exacerbated my, my symptomology. But they did accept that you'd suffered as a result of your combat. Yes, absolutely. Conventional approaches weren't helping, which is a story I think is very common. Yeah, I tried just about everything. Prolonged exposure therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, CBTI for insomnia, a multitude of different medications, psychotherapy. There wasn't really many other options left for me at the end of all those interventions. And plant medicines kind of fell into my lap. And with the support of my friends and family, I decided to go down that path. And it's been extremely beneficial. 
Did you do it through Heroic Horrors or did you do it yourself and then come to them after? The way that I was introduced to ayahuasca was one of the first re- grant recipients for Heroic Hearts was one of my best friends, Christian Cooper. And he was telling me about his experience. And I said, you know, this is something I need to try. So I reached out to Jesse at Heroic Hearts. He's the founder. He basically told me what I needed to do. Where he suggested I go was Solterra Healing Center in Costa Rica. And so I went down there and did my first four ceremonies. And explain to people then what that, what that entails, please. It's not necessarily just about the trip, if you will. Cleaning up your diet before you go down to the jungle, really taking a hard look at what your life is and how your problems are affecting you and everyone else around you. Because it's not just an individual, you know, it affects my friends and family. When I finally did make it to the jungle to drink the brew, it was unlike anything else I've ever experienced. You're kind of forced into the Maloka with strangers and people that you've never met before. And you really go through that experience as a community and you're doing individual work. However, after the ceremony is you sit down and you discuss if you choose to, how and what your experience was like. And honestly, hearing other people's stories, even though they're not very similar to mine, We're all dealing with trauma and suffering in some way. And so we have that common theme amongst us. And so just really realizing that other people do have problems and are struggling. It just gives you a platform to talk and and to really hash out what's going on in your life. Honestly, it's only about 2% of the healing is drinking this medicine. You know, we all carry boxes around with us that we may or may not want to look in. And what entheogens really do, in my opinion, is they allow you to open those boxes and to take a look inside if you choose to. And it can be extremely beneficial. Once the work's done and you leave, integrating those lessons into your daily life is really the meat and potatoes of the experience. And it's how you choose to accept and make changes in your life that really is the most beneficial aspect of plant medicine, in my opinion. Is there a therapist there with you helping you understand your insight? I mean, how does it actually work? So, yeah, after you get home, oftentimes people will, including myself, seek out a therapist that has experience with plant medicine. That's extremely important because integrating those lessons into your life is the majority of the work that you need to do. If you don't put the effort in to integrate and to make changes in your life, then it just becomes a peak experience. It's like going to Disneyland, whereas, you know, you had potentially a very heart opening experience and working through that and trying to incorporate those lessons in your life really becomes the hardest part of working with plants. It's not obvious, I think, to many of the listeners why an experience like that would help you overcome a trauma. You know, spending close to 1900 days in combat zones, I essentially I had to compartmentalize my emotions to deal with the daily stresses and traumas that I saw on a near daily basis, mortar, rocket attacks, enemy fire people being killed. And the only way that I could deal with those emotions for so long was to essentially turn my emotions off. And I had a really difficult time turning them back on. And what ayahuasca and other plant medicines have done is to force me to look at and relive those experiences with the emotions that I turned off. And the second and third ceremony that I did was absolutely terrifying. After the second ceremony, I didn't, I didn't want to do it again because it was literally the most terrifying experience in my life. I mean, worse than being in combat. Oh, absolutely. Because I wasn't dealing with my emotions when I was in combat. I was there to do 
a job and I was there to make sure that me and my peers made it home, whatever it took. And, you know, really turning those emotions back on has been a struggle for me. Let me see if I can paraphrase what I'm hearing. You're saying that to be an effective soldier, you've got to suppress the emotional memories. You've got to suppress the images, the nasty things you've seen. And that screws you over when you come home. You're spending all your time suppressing that. You haven't got enough mental capacity to engage with your family. Am I understanding it right? Yes, sir. I'd say that's pretty correct. And ayahuasca allows you to actually engage with what you're suppressing and, and kind of deal with it and get rid of it. I think everyone's experience is different. If you choose to allow the medicine to work, it works differently mm. for everyone. And that's just, that was my personal story. And that was kind of my personal journey when I first started mm. utilizing entheogens therapeutically. And the effect has continued? Yes and no. I, I find that like most people, they get this afterglow for weeks to months after this ceremony. And it's something that I will continue to repeat in the future as I need it to. I do notice that after some time of being home and getting back into my daily routine and life that some of these problems do come up and these old coping mechanisms start creeping back in and really just trying to be mindful of how my mental health and well-being is affecting myself and more importantly, those around me is extremely important. I've done multiple ceremonies and multiple trips down both Costa Rica and down to Peru last summer to try to get to a point where I'm at right now. Pretty stable and happy with my life. We find in the UK when we're talking to military leaders here, the, sort of the, you know, the heads of the army and that, we're talking about trying to get veterans helped. They say, ah, oh, but these are illegal drugs and, you know, we can't be breaking the law and we can't be encouraging recreational drug use. And you, I guess, as someone who's been used to obeying the law, you, know, you were in the military to help uphold the rule of law, you know, I guess, in your mind. Did you find that difficult, but having to cross the boundary from approved legal to illegal? I think I live by my own moral compass. And if something is available to me, I'm going to try it out. I'm not utilizing it in a recreational manner. I've pretty much exhausted all other traditional Western interventions. And so this was really just a natural next step for me to utilize these medicines. It really is a shame that in the UK and the United States, plant medicines, dimethyltryptamine or Schedule One narcotics, and you know, by definition, they have no medicinal value and a high likelihood of potential abuse. And for people that have done them know that that's not true at all. And it's probably the exact polar opposite. It's not something that you would want to take before going and watching your favorite band or going to the club. And so if they're available to me, unfortunately, in the United States to schedule a narcotic, and I have to seek treatment outside of the United States to be completely legal. And that's, it's truly unfortunate. Kate, let's come back to you then. You've been brought in to presumably do some research that will help change the perception of the American public and the American establishment and hopefully get these medicines available in the U.S. One of the things we're, we're really trying to do is, at least in the States, you know, we as a nation are very supportive of our veterans and they're held in high esteem. And I know that's not true in every country. In other countries, that's very different. But for Americans, when veterans are struggling with something and when they say, this is helping me, I think that that's a pretty powerful statement. And a lot of people who might be counter to drug legalization, for instance, or or making ayahuasca specifically available for treating post-traumatic stress disorder or anything else, people who would traditionally not support that if they were to hear about this helping the veterans who are struggling when there aren't any other good options, I think that that absolutely would help change public perception and help maybe push some policy changes eventually. So I think that Jesse, the founder and CEO, that's a, a very important initiative for him and for us as an organization. But more importantly, we really want to understand specifically how substances like ayahuasca 
ayahuasca can benefit veterans and and all people? And what is it going to be the most efficacious for treating? Is it post-traumatic stress? Is it depression or anxiety? And how are they affected by these different medicines? Really understanding that is important too. So our research really is to push that information and that knowledge base forward and hopefully support some policy changes. Well, that's quite a big ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having worked in this field myself, I guess you're young enough to see it through. That's a 10-year program to try to work out which people, what symptoms, oh, yeah. <laughs> what the mechanisms are. Yeah. We're really trying to do a tiny little piece of that puzzle. We ultimately got a grant through a company called Ubiome to look at the gut microbiome and how that potentially could change through ayahuasca consumption in veterans with PTSD. We have various bacteria and fungi and, and other living organisms that colonize our bodies. So from our skin to our digestive tract and everywhere in between. And it's kind of a symbiotic relationship or hopefully would be if you're healthy. And in the gut specifically, in your digestive tract, the gut microbiome is what it's called, that sort of profile or colony, if you will, of, of all the different living organisms. That can change depending on certainly what you eat, but also different disease processes can affect affect that. Even stress, so kind of your psychological stress, how you perceive your environment and what's happening to you can have a significant impact on which organisms flourish in your gut and which ones do not. And what's important about that is that the profile of these living organisms in your gut, in the microbiome, it's a bi-directional relationship. So your body can impact which organisms are proliferating and surviving there, but also the organisms that are proliferating and surviving there can have a direct impact on your health status. So they can release what are called inflammatory cytokines. So they can basically create inflammation in your body and affect your immune system and vice versa. So what we're trying to understand is specifically regarding ayahuasca, when you consume that, how does that shift or change or does it what those microorganisms are in your gut? And then does that push it into a kind of a profile that supports maybe anti-inflammatory status in your body? And we do know that inflammation does impact mental health and predispositions for depression and anxiety and potential Potentially priming somebody for developing post-traumatic stress disorder when they experience trauma. So there's a lot of questions around all of it. And we're really just trying to start with this very first piece of does consuming ayahuasca shift what's going on in the gut? And then if it does, what is ultimately that outcome? What does that look like? And then, you know, ultimately piecing together other parts of that puzzle down the road as we get more funding. We'll get back to the interview in just a second. I just want to thank all the Drug Science Community members for your continued support. Without you, the dissemination of information like this would not be possible. Drug science is, and always will be, independent. This means we don't accept sponsorships. But by becoming a Drug Science Community member, you'll be helping us bring about change. You'll also receive access to exclusive events and will be able to attend all Drug Science events for free. To see how to become a community member, click on the link in the show notes. Now, where were we? Let's get back to the show. That's kind of remarkable, isn't it? I think traditionally the gut has been seen as one of the sort of key targets for ayahuasca because there's the purging. I don't know if you did the purging, Nathan, but there's also a lot of vomiting. You know, the, you know, it's kind of weird that the gut was the target and now you're looking at, you know, the modern science. So you're taking samples of stools, presumably, before and after, are you, and seeing if there's a change? Yeah. I mean, I'm not personally, you know, everybody's collecting their own. <laughs> 
I've never heard of anyone doing the microbiome work with psychedelics before. So well, that's quite fascinating. Yeah, we're, we're really excited about it. We've had a little, lot of momentum behind it. And then, of course, things kind of came to a halt this summer. But we'll, we'll pick back up again as soon as we can. So how many people are you planning to collect samples? At of? this point, I think we'll probably have, for our initial pilot study, maybe 30. And we're working with the University of Colorado, Boulder, Dr. Christopher Lowry on that project. Chris Lowry? Yes. Chris and I have worked together and published together a decade ago. Oh, wow. What it's a, a small great world. treat for you to be working with him. Well, say hi to him. I will. He's a, I'm a great fan of his. How exciting. Yeah, we're really excited about it. But I think, I guess, it's unlikely that the microbiome is the sole explanation for why Nathan's better. Exactly. You know, we know that there are profound psychological changes that occur immediately, and the gut microbiome maybe could conceivably contribute to some of the physiological benefits, the health benefits that are associated yeah, with it. Yeah. Now we can measure the microbiome. There's a lot of questions exactly. to ask. And good luck to you in terms Thank of doing you. that. Let me go back to Nathan. In the other podcast I did, we were talking about that some vets can't engage with this therapy because they work for the government and they're terrified that if they were to do something illegal they might lose their jobs i mean that, that, that seems to be extremely sad for them and uh, i don't know what, what you could say to them i mean is that a realistic fear or is it do you think that they're exaggerating i think that if ayahuasca and other entheogens were made available and decriminalized or unscheduled which i think we're going to see here in the next decade or so then they would be extremely beneficial i can only speak to myself but i would definitely when i was working I had security clearances and I would have to disclose any substance use that I was utilizing. And unfortunately, I think a lot of folks in the military, at least on the United States side, are very hesitant to even seek mental health counseling, much less utilizing substances uh, that may or may not be legal. I know in the United States now you're starting to see uh, ketamine clinics popping up and doing infusions. And that's been a lot of people have had great success, including myself, treating depressive symptomology. MAPS is in phase three with their MDMA study now. Hopefully I'd like to see some, some more drug studies done with other entheogens, including mushrooms and ayahuasca and 5-methoxydimethyltryptamine. I think they all are tools to utilize and we should be utilizing them. These are gifts from Gaia. And if they work, then they work. And if we're restricting their access to people that are, you know, have experienced trauma, that are having mental health problems, then we're doing them a disservice because currently the world has problems with mental health, you know, especially in trying times like these. And the more available interventions that we can provide, the better and more healthy and friendly and happy people are going to be everywhere. And so we really need to start engaging the public about the benefits of these substances and engaging politicians about the benefits of these substances because suicide around the world is a huge problem. Mental health is a huge problem. And the more that we can allow people to heal, the better this, this planet's going to become. It's very interesting you say that. If you look at the deaths from coronavirus, they have not yet exceeded the deaths from suicide since coronavirus has been out. And we've got the whole world, absolutely, the whole world is containing coronavirus and we're hardly speaking about suicide. It's a huge problem around the world, but specifically within the veteran community. The statistics are varying, but, you know, it's 22 to 30 deaths a day in the United States from veterans killing themselves. And something needs to change because the medical system in the United States are providing are just not sufficient in my opinion. So you, you actually mentioned in your commentary there at MAPS and uh, MAPS are obviously doing a, a very big trial now of MDMA for PTSD. I, I wondered, Nathan, have you tried both? Can you compare ayahuasca with MDMA? I think it's almost like 
comparing apples and oranges. I have not been part of the MAPS study, but I have utilized MDMA therapeutically in the past. And it's very heart opening and it really breaks down barriers and allows you to open those boxes that I talked about earlier. Unless you're willing to do the work and and really break down your barriers and try to figure out why and what exactly is happening to you you that it's affecting your mental health and well-being, then you're not going to really heal from these traumas. MDMA specifically, it breaks down those barriers like no other compound I've taken. You would see it working in sort of similar ways then, because from my perspective as a kind of neuroscientist, when we do brain imaging, they're very different. I have to say, to be honest, before I heard people like you saying how ayahuasca DMT has actually helped you, I was very worried that psychedelics might not be good for people with PTSD, but I'm seeing you and others having made major benefits. It's made me have to rethink the way I kind of conceptualize what these different drugs do in the brain, because I mean, they do different things, and yet they come to the same endpoint. Maybe your example of opening up the boxes, maybe there's two doors. You can open one door with a psychedelic and the other door with MDMA. With psychedelics specifically, I think you, you definitely need to be somewhat stable and someone that is not mentally stable at the moment. It may not necessarily be the right compound for them until they get in a place or a headspace that they're able and willing to do the work. Are you within the Denver city limits? I'm actually state? not. <laughs> but if you were, you, very shortly, you, you will be able to buy your mushrooms. Is that right? Or grow your mushrooms? Yeah, it's decriminalized. So, yeah, you won't, you won't be prosecuted for that, which is a huge step forward. Yeah, explain to people what I'm saying. It's essentially the city of Denver has decriminalized psilocybin. So essentially what that means is if you have possession of it, you will not be prosecuted. The law is not going to come after you and either arrest you or give you a ticket. It doesn't mean it's legal, so it's still illegal, but the law won't be enforced. So I think that's the step to having things become legal. And whether that becomes legal recreationally or medicinally, that still remains to be seen. But I think Colorado has been one of the most sympathetic states towards relaxing some of these restrictions around plant medicines, obviously with marijuana and cannabis. Certainly led the uh, states, the US, in terms of uh, marijuana. But I do worry a little bit if mushrooms are now decriminalized, will that facilitate treatment or will it just come in a distraction? I think kind of like what Nathan was saying, I really think that these medicines are available for use for healing and we should take advantage of that. But at the same time, I think that they need to be respected. And these aren't, you know, quote unquote, party drugs. I mean, I know some people use mushrooms that way, but I really feel like there's incredible therapeutic value in a lot of these different entheogens and legalizing could create a situation that does lead to abuse and a lack of respect and people potentially being harmed in the process if they're not being careful about it or don't know what they're doing. And I think that we see that here in Colorado. I know of individuals who have, you know, I call them the quote unquote basement shaman and they hold ceremonies for different substances in their homes. And And again, having been through my own experience with ayahuasca, which was incredibly powerful, I just don't see how that's a good thing. I mean, you need to respect the tradition around these medicines, but also just respect the power that that lies within them, too. So I am kind of on the fence about how I feel about this process. Yes, I fear that there will be bad reactions in some people and that'll stigmatize the field. And also people may feel our job's done. We don't have to worry about making it a medicine, but we do have to make it a medicine in America and in Britain because it is a powerful medicine and potentially a huge 
hugely uh, healing one. Absolutely. So, Nathan, I'm interested, one of the debates we're having, and you know, we've been doing a couple of trials on psilocybin for depression, and our model is uh, the person gets the dose, have two guides with them before, the day before. You know, it's a very expensive model, and I'm worried that even though it's powerful, the funders insurance company won't pay for it once we get a license or if he gets a license. You were in a group. And that could potentially be quite a cost-saving, uh, you know, because presumably you didn't have your own individual therapist, you had a group therapist, a, a kind of shaman. That obviously worked for you, and I'm just wondering whether you saw that. Is, maybe it's even better in a group, maybe because you know, there are other people who are suffering to support you. I just wanted you to comment on that, please. As far as ayahuasca goes, I, I almost feel that, you know, the traditional Shipibo way that they run ceremonies works. And we're all energetic beings. And going into a group setting like that, it's it's almost like going into combat with, you know, your brothers and sisters. You're going and fighting a battle. And that's a personal battle and everyone's dealing with other traumas. But at the end of it, collectively, you can feel amazing afterwards, you know, and sharing those experiences and sharing your traumas with other people that you may not open up for in your local community. If you go to a group therapy session in your hometown, you might be reluctant to talk to your neighbors and your friends or people in your local area about your problems. And you're traveling to another country. You are hopefully with a group of people that you may not know anyone else there. And I think just as humans, we're much more likely to open up to strangers in those times. That's interesting. Were there other vets there or was it a mixture of vets and other people? I've done multiple trips down to Central and South America. And there have been one or two vets in some of the ceremonies that I've been in. Other, I've been the only vet. Even though people might not necessarily relate to my personal experience, we're we're all dealing with some trauma on some sort. We're brought to this ceremony probably on our own, but we're all there to, to, to heal from something. And so going through that as a kind of a community or group, it's really special. And you forge friendships like I forged in combat and people that I still speak with today, even going into this podcast, I'm talking with people that have also been through this experience to kind of to gain some insight and and what to share and what not to share. No, that's good, because that could well be quite important if that model seems to clearly work for you. And so getting back to Kate in her research, are you, are you going to research outcomes as well as microbiome? Yes, we're working with the University of Georgia. They're the ones who are helping us with the sort of behavioral outcomes. So we do surveys and behavioral and psychological assessments before folks go, and then also on the back end as well. And we track them for a certain period of time before and after to see how the behavioral changes may correlate correlate with some of the physiological and psychological changes that we're measuring as well. So they all kind of go hand in hand and we have different university partnerships to help us with those pieces of the puzzle just because it's a lot to do. And, you know, as a small organization, we, we can't really do that on our own. So we partner with those organizations and then go through their IRB to get approval. I think that's vital as well, isn't it? If you get other academic groups publishing papers that refer to your research, then they know that it's not just you trying to raise money for your charity. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're trying to change everyone's view and how is the dialogue going on with the public now? I think that people are starting to become aware. People are starting to ask questions. And I think that it's becoming clear, at least to the American public, that folks are conscious that veterans are suffering and there really aren't very many tools to help them. And when people start to hear of plant medicines, entheogens, psychedelics, I think there's a curiosity and people are starting to maybe dig in a little bit deeper instead of having that kind of knee-jerk reaction of like, no, those are illegal and what value could that have? And so I think the 
dialogue is softening around that. I think there's more public awareness, which is helping. Of course, MAPS has helped with that to a large degree. But, you know, you still deal with the skeptics. You still deal with people who don't understand and they're afraid of what they don't know. And fear can sometimes make people unpleasant <laughs> to deal with. So it's a mixed bag, but I'm hopeful for the direction that we're, we're moving in and changing sort of the stigma around mental health first and then the ways in which we are treating this. And to Nathan's point, I really do think that community is a huge part of it and group settings and group healing and all of that is vital, especially within the veteran community, but to all of us really. No, no, I think that's an important message we need to take on in, in, in the UK and thinking about the next round of trials we might mm-hmm. do for various reasons. You know, if it's both cost effective and more effective, well, that's a win-win, isn't it? Yeah. The group that I went with, it was all veterans. It was a small group and I was the only non-veteran actually. And afterwards, the majority of people really kept in touch and, you know, really helped each other. We all helped each other with the integration process and checking in and accountability. And that was huge. If I had gone through that alone or if they had gone through that alone, I don't know that it would have been as effective. And that's also a really important message about so-called recreation, because a lot of people use mushrooms or you probably don't use ayahuasca so much recreationally, but they're not doing it for fun. They do want to see if they can get insights. But of course, it can be quite dangerous to use it alone in situations where, you know, if you have a bad trip, you don't have anyone to support you. And if you have a good trip, you don't have anyone to help to learn from the outputs. Just one other thing about, or maybe Nathan's person to ask is, so you're on 15 other drugs. Did you manage to cut out some of those 15 drugs you're on? The only medication I take currently is uh, melatonin to help me sleep. I try to practice a daily meditation, yoga. I live in the mountains of Northern California, so I try to stay as active as possible and doing a lot of hiking and camping and just really connecting back with the earth. But I think it's an important thing, Kate, you know, presumably you are monitoring how their use of drugs, particularly alcohol, might change as a result of this. Because I, I know a lot of vets turn to alcohol and that in the end is what kills them. Hopefully you're monitoring their drinking before and after. Yep. We definitely like to include in the surveys just substance use prior and after and not only just to assess what changes occur, but also just for safety and making sure people are doing okay. Because as Nathan said, sometimes these patterns that we have when that sort of afterglow wears off, you know, you have so many years of defaulting to unhelpful patterns. And if you're not extremely vigilant about your your actions and your thoughts, it's very easy to kind of slip back into that. I certainly have experienced that in my own life, my own practice. And that's where that accountability and your brothers and sisters kind of checking in and doesn't mean you won't slip up, but it also means that, you know, you'll have support if you do. And you can always kind of come back to that understanding of the lessons learned, you know, the sense that like you are the medicine and kind of take that with you you know you've also seen the light in a way in fact you know you can get some kind of mastery over those bad experiences those bad memories those bad habits exactly if you can do it once you can do it again and that's you know very satisfying well we've well exceeded our time as i expected are there any last things any of you want to say no just thanks for having us on it's great to talk about this been a pleasure to talk to you both and thank you for sharing thank you for being so honest and keep up the good work and i'm really looking forward to uh, if it turns out that the shamans were 2000 years have been right it's all about the gut <laughs> then i will put my hands up and say i was wrong <laughs> thank you both so much indeed thank you. it's been a pleasure talking thank to you very much Well, I hope you enjoyed that. It was fascinating dialogue between a vet and someone who's trying to understand the nature and the value of ayahuasca treatment for PTSD. If you have enjoyed it, then please share with your friends. Also, follow Drug Science on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter, Prof David Nutt. And ideally, sign up on the Drug Science website to become a community member. If you do that, you will get access to Drug Science events. You'll be able to come to our lectures. And most importantly, your support will help us continue to do this really vital work that we're doing, telling the truth about drugs. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.